Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about Gran Turismo. The new Sony ad is out. It is two hours and 15 minutes. Also, a Neil Blomkamp movie. I'm going to be honest, I was skeptical going in. It's better than I thought it would be. Stick around for the review. We're also going to talk about some upcoming trailers, things that are coming out this well, this, this year that you want to know about, uh, except for ones coming out in January. Uh, we're going to talk about how to blow up a pipeline, a 2022 uh, uh, indie film that's now available on Hulu. Uh, we saw this one a while back for a trailer on the show. Really interesting film. Stick around for the review. And before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Dune Part 2 has been delayed. God, we talked about this last week. We hoped it wouldn't happen. It has. Andy, what the hell is Warner Brother doing? Uh, my life is over now that Doom Part Two. This was the only thing. This was the only thing keeping me right. keeping me together. Dune, my Arrakis Part Two, uh, delays to twenty twenty four. Will come out on the Ides of March, March fifteenth. Uh, five month delay. Very very disappointing. This was supposed to come out at in a uh, first weekend in November just a mere two months away and uh, we knew it was in danger if the strike went on too long and they couldn't launch the marketing campaign that it might get pushed and that is exactly what has happened um some other smaller pictures have been pushed the, the lord of the rings animated uh thing that was supposed to come out in the spring has been pushed to december godzilla got pushed by a month so some small things probably the biggest casualty is the Marvels will now get the IMAX screens that were going to go to Dune. So that's a big bonus for them. Um, but we're going to see if more dominoes fall because Dune and the Marvels were only three weeks apart in release time. So unless the strikes get resolved in the next couple of weeks, um, I can see the Marvels maybe getting pushed as well. As the other Christmas releases, things like Wonka or Aquaman, uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and The Color Purple. Uh, I do want to talk about the strikes in a second, but before we get to that, uh, I think Warner Brothers has the luxury of doing this because of the outrageous success of Barbie, which we're actually going to talk about uh, here in a couple stories, but we'll hit the box office before we get to Gran Turismo. Um, Barbie has made so much money. I, I just, just, just this week, it passed uh, the biggest film uh, Warner Brothers has ever put out. Um, biggest film ever for that studio. Just passed Harry Potter 8, right? The last Harry Potter movie. Um, so they like feel like you know what we could probably hold off on dune um and they got wonka coming which is a, a off script predicted to be an off script success we'll see uh, we'll see when it comes out december 15th uh, aquaman the lost kingdom will probably do fine like i think the rest of this year looks good for them but like more importantly the strikes are the reason that dune is getting pushed and really because warner brothers like the other studios uh, just doesn't want to pay the writers and actors they just don't and they're like ah. Eh. It, well, you know what? We'll take we'll take a ninety day haircut. Yeah, we put out Barbie. We're doing okay. We can afford to wait. It sucks. It sucks that that's the reason that's happening. Um, there's really no other reason for it. Uh, it's it's just don't want to. They they don't want to dance. They don't want to wrestle. And and I think that's super lame. And I really want to see Dune this year, but I guess not. The other big effect that this is going to have is on the award season, the Oscars. Um, Dune was probably going to be a huge contender for Best Picture bunch of technical awards probably best score and now everyone's saying that it's basically all going to go to oppenheimer now uh because there's <laughs> yeah. not going to be any other big competition that would have been kind of the the only thing and now now uh you know they're talking about best picture maybe be finally best director for chris nolan ludwig Göransson maybe getting best uh best score so the the awards are also going to be affected because of just less competition yeah, I, I saw that that tweet. Somebody was like Lud Ludwig Göransson on his knees, thanking God that Dune just got pushed to next <laughs> year. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's lame. Nobody like nobody likes this, right? Nobody at the party likes this. The fans don't like this. Warner Brothers doesn't like it. Uh, the writers don't like it. Actors don't like. It. Nobody likes this. I guess Warner Brothers kind of likes it because they're doing it. But yeah, they've got a new poster out with a new date on it. Um, super lame, man. Super lame, but you know, it is what it is. Speaking of unions, though, a uh, story out of Disney this week. Uh, Walt Disney Pictures VFX workers moved to unionize. This is a big deal, and it doesn't seem like a big deal because just last week on the show, we covered Marvel VFX moving to unionize. This is a different subsidiary of Disney. This is not the people who make Marvel VFX. These are the people making Tangled and Frozen 3 and probably a few animators tangled up in Pixar. This is a completely different division, which means Disney's, Disney's getting hammered on two fronts two l's for disney this week <laughs> like just, just keep stacking just taking them. another one i know stacking boy them for the year 
God, I, I can't believe this. Uh, super majority, over 80% of the 18 in-house VFX crew members at Walt Disney signed authorization cards signaling, signaling their desire to unionize. Uh, the VFX crews at Marvel Studios, meanwhile, uh, that we talked about last week, uh, they are collecting ballots and they're going to have the vote count on September 12th to see whether or not they are formally unionizing. Uh, Andy, hot takes on this. I, I do have a, a bit on, on Disney history with unionizing and how they pl- it's played out in the past, but I want to hear what you think first. I mean, this is great news. And uh, one thing I, I heard recently was that it may have been, been from you that this is a perfect time for the, the VFX unions to scribe because there's yes. no work. All, all yep. the work has been p- put on pause. And so uh, it's the perfect time because you, they can't hit you with like, you know, fire you from a project that doesn't exist. You know, if you're not working, you might as well mobilize your labor in in other ways. So I think it's it's a good time, and we're seeing that these we're seeing the strikes be effective and and kind of motivate the these other sector of the uh, film industry. Yeah, I, I think you know the writers have been on strike for what like 120 days. Actors have been on strike for I think over 60. Um, I've been hearing that some studios are trying to keep VFX studios on staff and basically keep producing films as much as possible, right? Developing backgrounds and and mats and maybe developing effects that they could put in. Like if they're if if Disney's already making a superhero movie, technically VFX people could be making shots. Like they could be developing sequences that are going to be all VFX, right? So. Uh, there is no better time to jump on this. Studios are already feeling pressure. I think it's a fantastic time to come forward, to come to the table and say, hey, wait a second. We also want a piece of the pie. Like, that's that's great for them. Uh, Disney, real quick, uh, regarding their history with unions, the only one they ever really had uh, that was compelling uh, was the Animators Union in 1941 that infamously went on strike. Walt Disney was alive then, and he hated it, dude. He hated it so bad. <laughs> he went on a brutal firing tear and fired so many animators that ended up trickling out to other studios. It genuinely changed the landscape landscape of how animation worked in in the united states for like two decades like so many so much animating power got moved around because walt disney was like i am not playing games with a union this is ridiculous they had signs Uh, i dropped a tweet about it earlier this week uh it wrapped up real fast um he you know agreed to pay them and then later accused a bunch of them of being communists when mccarthyism came around a lot of problems out of walt disney but walt disney studios is infamously anti-union so i'm very curious to see how this goes over bob Iger's not playing with the writers and the actors i think this is a great move by the vfx workers anyway there's no better time to get out and get theirs like i i think it's great yeah it's a big win for the industry and again this we saw the marvel vfx people unionized just a few weeks ago so uh you know hopefully it's it's a trend and i i was reading in the article that it uh, the, a union like this has happened since like the seventies when Star Wars came out, and those those VFX uh, people first started unionizing. It pretty much hasn't happened in almost fifty years. Yeah, like it's this is a big deal, and I think it's a good thing. And I, man, like animation needs a hand, VFX needs a hand. Like a lot of these industries have been getting hammered with over overwork and and working nights and weekends and not getting paid to get stuff done. And like it's it's time. Uh, speaking of time, uh, we're running out of it for our new segment, so I got to move on. Uh, uh, at the box office this week, Gran Turismo uh, picks up what seventeen point four million dollars at the box office. Well, well over expectations, uh, but still like is right next to Barbie turning out fifteen million. Wild weekend at the box office, Andy. What do you think? So there's a little bit of contention here between Barbie and uh, Gran Turismo because the seventeen million is counting the sneak peeks from the last like two weeks. Otherwise, it was thirteen million, and they're they're saying, "Oh, well, we were seventeen point four million over this weekend." Oh. But they're like, "Barbie, this like not really um, sneaky." Barbie did have have another fifteen million for the weekend, over five hundred million domestically for Barbie, but still a pretty strong weekend for the movies uh, as we wrap up the summer session. Summer is officially over at the movie season. Gran Turismo was kind of the be- last big uh, picture before going into the the fall slate in in september we see blue beetle comes in at third doing okay around uh 50 million or so i think that one might kind of uh have some legs it's it's had a lot of uh positive um just word word of mouth and it it, it had only a 50 percent drop which a lot of times a 60 to 70 percent drop is normal so it it's going it's doing okay it, we might see it chug along 
This is why you got to tune into Offscript every week, because on Offscript, we read between the lines. I had no idea that Gran Turismo's numbers were inflated by pre-screenings. Solid catch, Andy. I was about to get on here and praise them for clearing their $10 million estimate. All they turned out was 13. They barely made it. Like, that's a good weekend. (laughs) And they had National Cinema Day on Sunday, which is $4 tickets, which I'm sure didn't move the needle too much since they're cheaper tickets. But that does mean a lot of eyes got on Gran Turismo, and they still turned a positive weekend. And overall, like... Pretty good. I, I I think that's is that good for a Neil Blomkamp movie? I don't even know. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how I, his previous films. Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp is this kind of incredible incre- story where he can he comes out of the gate with District Nine, this incredible sci-fi mm. uh, film Produced from two thousand nine out of New Zealand. Yeah, huge. Like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was like M Night Shyamalan kind of story yeah. where it's this huge first film. And he's done like four or five movies since then, and they've all just kind of done mediocre. He did Elysium, Chappie, Chappie. other he was, like sci he was sci-fi in a Halo stuff. Movie forever, yeah. He was involved in an Alien reboot forever. Like none of that stuff panned out, and it's just never materialized. And we've never seen him uh, kind of get back to that glory of the first movie. I saw a tweet that was like. This movie from the director of Dis- District 9. The next movie from the director of District 9. The third movie from the director of D- District 9. Like, he's got that one hit, and he just kind of hasn't had another one since. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's tough to watch. But I, I can say confidently, uh, Gran Turismo turned out better than I thought it would, which I think is a great segue into it. Uh, I think Andy's taking the summary on this one. Um, so I'm excited to talk yes. about it. Uh Andy, please take it away. Gran Turismo, based on a true story. So they, they weirdly changed the title of they this. Did. It was just Gran Turismo. They did change the title. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Uh, uh, they added colon based on a true story, maybe for search purposes or or so. It doesn't. Um, I don't know. For for some reason. Anyways, this is based on uh, a, both a video game and a true story of Jan. Uh, Mardenborough from the UK, uh, who was the winner of Nissan and Sony's uh, competition they held to find the best sim racing sim drivers and put them in real race cars and see if they could actually race real cars. And turns out they they could, and they won. And he he went on uh, to win races, to race at the, the famous Le Mans twenty four hour race, um, and now is continues to race and is also like a stunt driver, stunt performer, and in he makes an appearance in this movie so it's that story uh told by uh sorry <laughs> orlando bloom and or it stars orlando bloom and david harbour as the as both the marketer and the professional driver uh, chief of engineering who kind of come up with this scheme to to bring gamers to uh to the racing track and it stars archie Madique, um who we, we actually saw from midsummer uh, he's he's in briefly in that that movie. He doesn't last very long. Uh, but his story is he he comes from a very working class background. His dad says you got to get a real job, kid. You can't race cars all your life. You know we're not these people. You got to be wealthy to do that. He discovers the competition, gets into the the Gran Turismo Academy, has to prove himself there, and then goes on to race uh, for real. This is all kind of the trailer gives away the whole movie. Uh, but the journey is still interesting. I think it's very well made and, uh, it's, it's a lot better than it deserves to be. I saw it with a very full crowd who was cheering, clapping, crying through it. So it's definitely a crowd pleaser. So Zach, what do you think of Gran Turismo based on a true story? So I'm in the same boat as you. Like I saw the first trailer of this movie. It felt like gave away everything. The final trailer absolutely gives away nearly the whole plot. Like it is crazy how much it gives away, which is a thing now in movies, but it makes it tough when you know your movie's over two hours long and you're like, Oh my God, like I gotta go watch this thing that I already know the whole plot for. We watched a lot of trailers on this. It's easy for me to be jaded. I can say confidently this movie is better than it looks, which is good. It's not that surprising, though, with Neil Blomkamp at the helm, right? Like, he's no slouch. Traditionally, the talent in the movie is good. Archie Matawecki? Mad- 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 I was going to say, like, Matawecki, which I know isn't right, but I don't know. That's, that's what came to mind. Uh, he's actually real solid. He's young. He's, he's got a little 
room to grow, but he brings enough charisma to a role of, of somebody who's supposed to be kind of a gamer and kind of introverted. He's intentionally, he's not good at like publicity being in front of cameras. So in that way, he feels like he fits as kind of an awkward dude growing into this role. David Harbour's a delight. We last saw him in Violent Night. He's also in Stranger Things. Love him. Orlando Bloom, refreshing to see in kind of this sleazebag marketer role. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, I think uh, the movie is also tarnished kind of like like by a thick coat of of marketing veneer for PlayStation and Sony products and Gran Turismo and also and, and a, Nissan yeah a ton of Nissan I didn't know Nissan was going to be making a movie this year but they did and it's secretly Gran Turismo <laughs> Um, I'm excited to talk about it like I said a, a, a pretty decent summer romp Andy where do you want to jump in so uh gosh there's a lot of places to start want to start with our cast i think um and say this movie is very it's kind of paint by number and it could have been very mediocre and really bad but i i think it does a very predictable thing but it's done very well david harbour i I feel like really carries this he he plays this uh he's like the the racing coach that that's got to turn all these gamers in into racers and um and he's not nice he's basically like none of you can do this you all suck it takes like elite athleticism to drive a car for three hours and, and not, you know, have, have your body fail. He's like, I've done it. You won't do it. But he has this kind of weird charisma. Like, even though he's mean and doesn't believe in anyone, uh, he's still so charismatic on the, on the screen. He's, he's so good and very convincing in his role. Orlando Bloom is the kind of sleazy. He's got the marketing name. Everything's he's like, like he doesn't want to go with Jan Martinborough, initially because he's like ah he's he's kind of weak in front of the camera he can't talk you know he doesn't have the square jaw like this other guy and uh so he does that role role well and then you know we have a, a slew of, of newcomers uh spice girl former spice girl jerry hallowell plays plays his mother in this uh, movie oh, wow. which was a nice i didn't put that nice together touch. yeah and uh the great jaiman hansu uh, cash collecting a check, doing way. <laughs> he's way too good for this movie, but d- he does a good job as the, as the father. Um, like I said, it's very paint by number, but it it just does what it does really well. And Gran Turismo, if if you haven't played, is a racing simulator. So it's not like a very fun game. It's very very hard because it's actual racing. You have to learn uh, in the game. Like you learn a lot about like steering and braking, acceleration, like how to take turns, how to take corners properly. You have to learn about like tire tire allocation. Like it's very technical, and like the very first race you do is usually a circle, and it's really hard to win because it's not like Need for Speed or these other other things. You really learn a lot about driving and racing and how cars work, and it'll affect your your actual driving because that's how I've that's happened to me uh, from playing it. So it's like this real deal simulator. Yeah, Andy's absolutely right. I'm glad you actually slipped in the bit about the simulator. I completely forgot. It is based on a game, of course, and a true story, as the title has been changed to. Uh, quick note about Jaman Hansu before I jump to the plot. He's actually really good in this movie. He's really good. And, like, he said in interviews in the past that he feels like he's typecast as, like, you know, a mythical warrior or some kind of, like, ancient soldier or something or, like... God servant, like he is in Shazam, oh, totally. right? And like in this, he's just playing like a dad who used to be an athlete who has kind of had his shot in the sun and got injured and now he works a job. So he wants better for his kids and he's passionate about it. He's great, dude. He's barely in the movie too. And I was like, dude, it's really nice to see him playing something so grounded and playing it so well. He's a great talent. He needs to be in more movies. Uh, regarding the plot, I know we said it's all in the trailer, but I'll give you the overarching here with no spoilers. Of course, we don't do that here. Uh, Archie is uh, plays Jan, yes, uh, a young gamer uh, who is basically dropped out of college and has no real aspirations, but keeps telling his parents, I want to be a racer. It's what I want to do. And they live in, you know, middle income housing in Britain. And they're like, we can't afford it. You need a billion dollars to be a racer, which is true. But uh, he notices one day on his favorite 
favorite game, Gran Turismo, that he's been entered into a contest because he's got the fastest lap time on one of the tracks in the game. And he quickly discovers that if he wins, he goes to GT Academy, right, uh, where he'll learn to be a real racer alongside 11 other contestants uh, from around the world. All this is organized by uh, sleazy Orlando Bloom, uh, alongside, of course, David Harbour, our, our, our pit engineer, uh, who is very skeptical about the whole thing. Brings that, like, kind of father figure, but also a bit of sass to it, right? He's sarcastic. Uh, and as these gamers try to learn to be drivers and one-up each other, uh, Jan quickly rises through the ranks and then uh, has to go on to multiple sets of competitions um, to become better and better, get get your racing license, right? Like, become, become a racer. And I think what's neat about this movie is it doesn't just stop at, he won the, ga- the GT Academy. He won the game. No, there's like another hour of film where he has to go get a license and he's jetting around the world and his parents don't really believe in him, which is a weird write-off because it feels like his family would, but I think that's just adjusted. They kind for, of disappear for half yeah, the movie. Yeah, they kind of vanish. Like, at one point he's <laughs> flying to Vienna, right? Which is something he's never done. And he's talking to his mom on the phone and she's like, well, good luck, dear have fun and it's like if your kid is getting a 200 mile an hour rocket and flying around the world to to race like a a deadly activity you would be going to those games like it's surprising to me that she's not attending races but like they just don't i don't know they don't they don't seem to be that that into it anyway um like i think the movie feels full and if i was a kid i would feel like it felt really grand because it's not just qualify for race do good in school win race it's that's like half the movie and the other half is a series of increasingly challenging races with increasingly challenging racers they're going to big tracks right they go to the nürburgring in germany uh they you, you see le mans in, in i guess vienna um like you, you go to all these places Fra- where you've france. seen it's big cars france. big action <laughs> france i'm not I'm racing big action big cars and i think that's the stuff blomkamp does really well he shoots machinery great um the races, though, I do want to talk about feel a little out of sync. And I think I'll talk about that in general direction. But what else you got, Andy? Yeah, I, I, I think the technical part of this movie, I think, is what's done really well. Like they ha- they they get a lot of the cars. The cars are on tracks. They're racing like they, there's a lot of drone shots, which actually kind of make me a little nauseous. It's kind of too much. <laughs> like, there's a few there's a few too many drone shots, admittedly. But but, you know, some of it is is totally like VFX shots of the everything the track the cars uh for some of the more dangerous stuff but there is a lot of like hot fast cars and like camera rigs all all over them that stuff i think is is done pretty well and that's part of the part of the feeling of gran turismo is like you know driving 150 miles an hour around a track and trying not to to throw the car off um, it all it also does get into the the very dangerous nature of racing uh, racers drop they die usually every every year in a variety of motorsports. There's a great documentary called Senna about Art and Senna, who was a Brazilian F1 driver who died tragic tragically, and it was like crushing to the the whole nation. It's a very dangerous sport, but it's also wildly popular. But it doesn't shy away from from the dangerous aspect. Yeah, I think Blomkamp I, I like fills in the gaps in direction where the screenplay is lacking, like. Because for the first act of this movie, it feels a lot like marketing. Like, I, I was watching it thinking this movie feels like it's made by the character that Orlando Bloom is playing. Like, this sleazy yeah. marketer who's like, how can I sell Sony and Nissan and, like, I don't know. Like, how, how can I wrap all this up? And it's like, he plays the game and then it becomes a thing. And you get these sequences where he's playing the game and he gets home and he's got his PlayStation controller. And you're like, boy, this is so... Sony heavy in, <laughs> yeah. in so far that the first minute of the movie is literally an ad for Gran Turismo. It explains what the game is, that it's the most accurate racing simulator in the world, shows you a ton of footage, the guy who made it, them making it, scanning cars in. The credits of the movie are also that. Like it is bookended by advertising. And, and in the end of the, of the film, when you've got a bunch of people watching a race, they're in the PlayStation lounge and there's Sony marketing. Like it's brutal. The Nissan logo is everywhere. But... In the longer parts of the movie, you forget that that's what you're watching because Blomkamp steps on the sincerity. Like, he really leans into 
David Harbour kind of bringing this kid up and being like, hey, I really believe in you. You know, like you're not you're not nothing. I might be sarcastic, but like you, you, you have genuine talent here. And Jan coming to find that in himself and his dad finally coming around and, and Orlando Bloom being like, but but what about the the views? What about the numbers? Right. Like that's <laughs> yeah. like all that stuff, I think, ends up PR? working real good. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I want to say about the sequences in regards to the actual races, the actual race scenes to me maybe you'll connect with me here andy like they they lack a certain like geography um it's hard to keep up with what's going on in the races and they fix this by doing a lot of freeze frames with uh hover cards like just text over the top of the screen where they explain what's going on or they'll put in like a little arrow that points at a car and they're like this one's in place three this one's in place four and then it'll cut to another shot and it'll be like now he's in place two and it's like Hold on, like that's that's not very good, like geography of a scene, right? Like you want to feel like you're in in the cockpit, racing with the racers, making the turns, and you don't really get that that much. You get a whole lot of drone shots, VFX. It's still fun, but it's just odd. Like it's an odd way to put a race scene together. Usually, you want to have pretty clear motives for every car you're you're dealing with, but it ends up coming off real chaotic. Do you feel that way? Yeah, the, the scenes aren't quite as exciting and as good as they were done in uh, Ford v. Ferrari. I, I think that those um, racing scenes are yeah. pro- probably th- the best uh, of recent race movies. Uh, they're good in this. They're not near as good. Like you said, I, I don't know where I am. I don't have the feel of the car being inside of it as much as uh, I do in in that movie. That That's what I was kind of hoping for more of, that kind of thing where the car is shaking, you're taking you know, turn turns at a hundred miles an hour and what that feels like, what that looks like. Um, it, it doesn't get into the weeds enough. And that's kind of what I wanted more, more from this. I wanted, uh, David Harbour's character to talk about, like to really show his knowledge about racing and cars. And, and it just doesn't get into the weeds as much as I, and this is what I want from every sports movie. Like when we watched, uh, uh, King, tennis what's his name with will smith oh king richard, uh, king uh, richard. yeah um same thing like, like like they the kid they're just like oh the kids are so, your your daughters are so good but then they never like get into why or the how or like, the, like right. I, I wanted them to get into the weeds like i feel like it brings you in more um i'm that i they probably think they're gonna lose audiences but i think it it will feel more authentic that way yeah, like don't don't shy away from just being like, oh, the brakes can't take it. Like, tell me why on a slope you have to take this race line instead of that race line, or or why when it's raining, like you need to drive so much specifically different. At one point, uh, uh, Jan switches to a completely different model of car, more of like an F one oriented, kind of like sit in the center yeah. thing with bigger, wider wheels. And David Harbour's like, it's gonna take a few weeks to learn how to drive on this before you go to the big race. And I'm like, it would take a year for a driver to switch over to that format and like it's 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 a little juiced up for sure but i do think it makes for a pretty good popcorn kind of movie like i i on the one hand yeah it's got flaws but on the other hand like seeing with the crowd was a really good time i had this big fat guy sitting next to me and like there's this one like car crash sequence in the movie where all the sound gets sucked out of it and you could hear a pin drop and this guy goes huh that's physics like right in the silence and the car like explodes onto the ground it's a whole thing like everybody laughed like it's just it's it ends up being a a really solid summer flick and i think that's what neil blomkamp was trying to make like mission accomplished he's not going to win oscars with this thing but like it's a pretty solid fun flick and i i think that's a really big victory coming out of a trailer that gives the whole damn movie away yeah it's it's a fun summer romp it's it's you know it's for the crowd that that just goes maybe one, once or twice a, during during the summer or once or twice a month looking just for you know what what's out that we haven't seen it like i said i saw it with a big crowd like i said they were clapping cheering tears the whole like it it was working the crowd and it was working <laughs> on it and even though it is a little bit paint by number it 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 was an enjoyable time. It's a little bit too long. There's this weird romance romance subplot that they could completely cut. <laughs> yeah. Zach probably just completely yeah. forgot about. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did. did they try God, to f- it's weird. Yeah. They, they, there's some things that they could cut for length um, and just put it at a two hours and it would be good. It'd be fine. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a fine movie. Also music by Lauren Ralph, <laughs> who 
Uh, I don't know if he does a lot of cinema soundtracks, but I know he does most of the music for Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed franchise. So if you like that music, which is solid, um, he does the music for this. I don't know why that jumped out to me. I just saw him in the credits and was like, oh, wild. But any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? That's like there's there's a kind of antagonistic figure uh, who races for Team Kappa, and he might as well call him like Driver McBadboy because that's exactly oh, what dude. he is. He's like this very like stereotypical like rich wealthy kid who who's no one can teach me anything and, and like uh he he's the one that drives the gold lamborghini you see in the the trailer and he's kind of this forced antagonistic figure that you kind of roll your eyes at but and, you know he's got the gold lambo which looks cool he also had my favorite line in the whole movie there's a bunch of characters who will say goofy offhand video game oriented comments as like slander to yawn while he's driving like wow you took that corner really fast would you use a cheat code or you're a noob like just ridiculous stuff and our uh, our bad boy driver he's got this great line in there he says i'm gonna nerf you gamer like it's so stupid. <laughs> like I uh, a mirthless chuckle. That was me in the theater. That's like a, that's, a mirthless that's chuckle like at a Scott Pilgrim or something. <laughs> I know. Like it's so bad. And like that. That those are the moments where the marketing like stings. You know, you're just like, God, please go out and buy uh. our game. Go buy. Go buy. Play Gran Turismo today. Like that stuff hurts. But like overall, I think the good outshines the bad for me at least, and ends up being a pretty good time. So, Andy, would you recommend Gran Turismo? Yeah, I would. It's it's a cl- crowd-pleasing film. It's made really well. The racing stuff is very thrilling, very accurate in a, in a lot of ways. It is an inspiring story to take someone who just played a game that they were able to put him on a track that he was able to win and able to race and podium at uh, the Le Mans famous 24-hour grueling race, uh, a team of, of simulated, simulated racers won that. So it's, it is an incredible story. A lot of fun. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Solid turn your brain off and beat the heat for two and a half hour kind of movie. Like if you're going in thinking this is going to be some complex feature, watch the trailer. It isn't. But if you're just going in to have fun, right? Date night, whatever. Need something to take your kids to? Gran Turismo is great. Yeah, on the other side of me, that reminds me, there was a dad uh, hanging out with his son and they were just chatting the whole movie. Dad, what's that race? Dad, why does this do this? And he was all into it. And I was like, that's a sweet moment. Like, God, you're not going to get that in any other movie theaters right now. Yeah, total dad dad movie. movie. Yeah. Uh, Gran Turismo, not too shabby. I don't know what streamer it'll be coming to. I couldn't tell you who put it out, but we'll figure it out. Probably on like Paramount Plus or something. Feels like a Paramount joint. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we need to talk about a couple of trailers, some things coming out. Andy, what do we call this segment? It's time for the trailer park. I'm going to be taking the first one uh, this week. The movie is uh, The Killer. So The Killer is David Fincher's new project. Ooh, uh, we last saw him with Mank in 2020. Before that, he was making Mindhunter on Netflix, seasons one through three uh, from 2017 to 2019. Uh, He put out Gone Girl in 2014, I think, which is like a ways away. Hard to believe it was that far back. So he has not done a whole lot of features, but I don't think he's lost a step. The Killer features Michael Fassbender as a ruthless assassin who according to IMDb's summary, uh, is on the run after a near miss and has to evade and even anticipate and overcome rivals, uh, people in his own organization, as he travels the world trying not to be caught, I guess. that That's what I know. Uh, the trailer's particularly vague. It's a whole lot of imagery. But Fassbender looks awesome in it. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can see at least, like, I can click through this because I don't want to get copyrighted, so you can see sc- screen grabs. Um, Andy, what do you think of this trailer? I think this is cool. It is a little generic, but if if it didn't have Fincher's name attached to it, if it was like the Russo brothers, I I would, wouldn't think much of it because it just we don't know much about the st- the story other than he's an assassin. It does look really sharp and it looks very kind of authentic. Um, I'm I'm gonna be interested to see what kind of story Fincher's trying to tell. What like what what are the, what are the themes, the underlying kind of motifs uh that that the movie's going to be about because uh there's definitely going to be like an oscar kind of contender fastbender's always a delight so i i'm this looks generic but i know that fincher's behind it so i know it's going to be more than what it seems yeah that's that's what i'm hoping to i'll admit the trailer looks a little flat but i'm hoping that the talent behind behind it is going to give us something really special 
moving on uh, to our next trailer. Uh, this just came out. Uh, the Book of Clarence, uh, which stars the great Lakeith Stanfield as uh, a wannabe prophet in the, in the time of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, A.D. 33. Uh, we see him, uh, or we see him witness uh, Jesus' rise to, to fame and popularity. And he says, I want that. I want to be a leader. I want to be a Messiah, leader of men. So it's kind of like a historical uh, comedy that explores uh, faith and, and some other things. It looks really funny. Uh, and it, it's directed by James Samuel, uh, James Samuel, who previously did The Harder They Fall, which was a Western, which we reviewed on on this show that came out on Netflix, still available on Netflix, uh, which the Keith Danfield was also in. So this looks like, like a lot of fun, a uh, little bit of Book of Mormon kind of vibe to it. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, James Samuel called a shot on this one. I, I was doing a little research before we hopped on here, and uh, his previous film, The Heart of They Fall, which we covered on episode 159 of Offscript, uh, actually has a mention of the Book of Clarence by Lakeith Stanfield's character in the movie, and somebody tells him the Book of Clarence isn't a real book. James Samuel knows what he's doing. He had this kind of to get idea together. He knew this was going to be his next project. He was excited to get a bunch of the cast from that movie in it. Uh, yeah, a little Life of Brian, right? A little uh, year one, like this kind of alternate historical look. But he said uh, he told Vanity Fair, who saw an early screening of the film, that uh, it is uh, he wanted to make a movie about like the guy that sells Jesus's sandals, you know, or somebody who works at like basic, like an old hair salon in Jerusalem. Like, who is that person? Like, who is part of the world, but like isn't necessarily bought into like the dream? And Lakeith Stanfield looks great. Uh, the early reports are he's tremendous in it. Looks funny. Like, I don't know, man. But Clarence might be something to keep an eye out for. Sounds goofy. Um, but I think we'll see more about it like in the coming weeks. So you heard it here first. Uh, with that, we should jump into our final film of the episode. Short trailer park this week, but that's the way it goes. The movie is uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. So How to Blow Up a Pipeline is a 2022 indie film about uh, extreme environmental activism. Andy and I covered the the trailer a while back on the show. It's a smaller one, but we're like, this looks like something interesting. It's a movie that's covered in film grain and uh, like cut full of actors who you haven't seen in anything uh, it's written by one of these stars uh, who wrote it with the director and another writer uh, and it's functionally kind of a heist movie uh, it's about a group of extreme environmental activists who are willing to damage property uh, in order to accomplish their means of trying to slow or halt or at least bring awareness to climate change a movie opens uh with one of our characters stabbing the tires out of like a ford f-150 and then leaving a a, a pot like a, a a sign on the window that says like here's the reason i destroyed your stuff because this is bad for everybody and we shouldn't have it and sorry but you know them them's the rules uh, this accelerates uh, when one of these activists decides hey we should do something big we should make a statement we should blow up an oil pipeline in texas so they find a house coordinate with some friends figure out how to communicate without using phones or anything trackable and then they all meet over a weekend to build two bombs and blow up two sections of pipelines to send a message to the world without harming anybody specifically uh that you know, oil is bad and we're ruining the environment. But along the way, they start to realize, you know what? Maybe maybe this does actually have victims. Like, maybe this isn't just going to hurt big oil. Maybe it's going to hurt people at the gas pump. Maybe it's going to hurt families. In fact, who knows what this could do? It might even hurt us if these things go off because we're building a bomb in the desert from, from the details we found on YouTube. <laughs> like, it's gritty. It's 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 hard-boiled how to blow up a pipeline is a really surprising feature it's available on hulu right now i'm excited to talk about it andy what'd you think i really enjoyed a lot of this film i feel like it doesn't know how to end how to kind of stick the landing it's based on a book which is uh it, it's not a, a novel it's a polemic that basically argues that uh you know kind of passive means of environmentalism uh are are too slow and ineffective and so uh because big companies are essentially destroying the environment then it's justified to use direct action um like destroying infrastructure to to fight back so that that's kind of the uh thought experiment 
that this is based on and, and then this whole novel whole story is built around that. I feel like the movie is really thrilling because, like you said, it's a group of people working together to build explosives, multiple explosives to build to damage pipeline infrastructure, and it's a whole lot of DIY bomb making, which you know can go wrong at any moment. So it's very thrilling, and they're on the verge of getting caught a lot of times. There's flashbacks to all the characters' stories. I feel like it it needs another act like it doesn't know how to finish like what happens when you apply this philosophy in the real world because it's one thing to say like yes we should fight back stronger to make change happen it's another thing to do it and see what the real world ramifications would be so there's a lot that works about this some that doesn't a quick run through of our cast uh, because many of them are small times or unknowns you may not have heard of yet i think everybody is solid in it and i've got a couple honorable mentions in here uh, ariel libera is uh, sochi kind of our kind of our lead organizer lead activist who kind of puts this crew together uh, she's also the writer on the film she's the head writer oh, helped yeah. put it together yeah help kind of adapt it from this uh, uh this book. Uh, additionally, we have Kristen Frozeth as, as Rowan, Lucas Gage as Logan, who we've seen in a few features. I can't think of any directly right White now. White Lotus. White Lotus on HBO. Yeah, uh, Forrest Goodluck is Michael, who's probably our most exceptional performance. He's this very understated uh, uh, young Native American man who is very fed up with the way oil has, has basically turned his family into a bunch of like like bead makers like he they're just not doing anything exciting so he is kind of our bomb maker we previously saw him as leonardo dicaprio's son in the revenant it's a really small role but like oh, wow. i i don't know why he jumped out at me and i looked him up and was like that's where he came from sasha lane is theo jamie lawson is alicia marcus scribner sean jake weary is Dwayne. uh that's i think our leads there may be a couple others but that's pretty much who we've got Irina Bedard is, is Joanna. I'm sorry, that's the other one. Um, all of these people come from different walks of life. Most are liberal, save for uh, Jake Weary as Dwayne, who is super not liberal, but it's his land in Texas, and he is over it. So like Forrest Goodluck's Michael, the bomb maker, he feels like he's got something in common with him. Many of our characters are paired with somebody else. like They come from the same place, so they have a similar origin story. And the film is split up by this kind of couple of days where they're building the bombs and, 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 and trying to get them out to the pipeline and flashback sequences in between that act as chapters with title cards that give us just a brief, like eight minutes, like maybe 10 minutes into who these people are before you're right back out to the weekend with harrowing music and a pulse pounding soundtrack. Yeah. And, and, and a pace that feels like we are building to something of an explosion, which I think is a very smart structure. Yeah, I was going to say keen-eyed viewers will recognize Jake Weary from It Follows. He's uh, the boyfriend character that we meet in the the kind of opening scene. Uh, this is a good cast, but the cast is a little bit too big. And like I said, there's a lot of flashbacks to all the characters' backstories and basically how they've all been neg negatively affected by climate change um, in in one in one sense or another, either directly some of, some of the characters are sick, have been made sick by li living close to uh, refineries. Um, uh, Jake Weir's character, Dwayne, who, who's the, the Texas boy, his land has been seized via eminent domain, and he's looking to, to fight back. So they all have all these different backstories, but there's like 10 of them, and it's kind of a lot, and I start to lose track. And the problem with the big cast is screen time gets cut down that so we don't really spend a lot of time with everyone no you're you're absolutely right like and, and i think the movie does a fine job of giving you just enough of everyone to not lean in any one direction too strongly you do have a couple characters who are more prominent than others but for the most part everybody gets equal screen time i think if you're gonna have a cast this big it's probably smart to keep them a little simpler right you're not getting too in the weeds with any one person um i Love the look of this movie. It is shot with a lot of film grain and the colors really washed out and it comes off looking like a 70s snuff movie or something, right? Like it looks yeah. intentionally low budget. Like it comes off looking almost, it reminded me a lot of like old Texas Chainsaw Massacre, honestly, with kind of like the golden sunlight coming out over Odessa. Like 
it makes it feel like something that's older. It makes it feel like something that's retroactive, even though it's a story that is very, very contemporary. And I think that's because of where the book comes from, right? Like it's, it harkens back to this feeling like this has been a problem for a long time. This has been a thing forever. And like, I think that gives gravitas to the statement the film is kind of making, which is like the book uh, that, you know, destructive activism is maybe necessary. Wild idea. And it's actually uh, seen this movie get in some hot water. I know there were some theater chains that were like, hey, we don't love this. There were some distributors who didn't like it. And there were a couple film festivals that were like, we don't know if we're running how to blow up a pipeline because it's just so incendiary. Honestly, like uh, honestly, covering it on the show here, I'm not even sure how this is going to go up on YouTube because I'll upload this review like we always do. But I don't know what kind of views it's going to get with a title like how to blow up a pipeline like that all automatically <laughs> like draws attention in a negative way. And the film doesn't necessarily shy away from that message like interestingly i think it's thesis statement is that yes like the book says it is kind of necessary and that's bananas to say that there's a movie like that but that's part of what makes it feel so uh, exciting right vice called it a ticking time bomb and like in that way i think what an appropriate title what an appropriate subject yeah i think that's one of the fascinating things is that it takes the premise of like yes we should fight back against the the big oil companies corporations and and shows us a group of people walking through and doing it. And I, I think the, the problem is, is that the, uh, the film just kind of ends there. And I feel like we need another act of, okay, what, what happens in the real world when you take this kind of direct action? What's the, the legal fallout? What's the social fallout? The, you know, what does it in, how does it affect other, other people? Does it inspire other, other people? Does it hurt? people you didn't intend to what what is the realistic uh effect to it and these are great questions that i feel like the film ends too soon and it gets it gets bogged down in the second act with i think too many backstories and you kind of cut some of that to get, give us a, a little bit more in, in the third act of like well what what's the result of this ideology in practice yeah like overall i think how to blow up a pipeline is well, I guess I should save my overall thoughts for recommendations. But like, I, I think I was really charmed by how ten like tenuous some of the action sequences in this film feel. Because like I said, whenever you're in the modern day, whenever you're in the, the sequences of a couple days and they're building the bombs and, and planning on putting them out there, like there's just this constant feeling of pressure. Because not only are you afraid, are your characters afraid of getting caught, but like there's this, you don't want to get blow themselves up. Uh, and they're hoping that, like, their message will be due, right? Like, obviously, they're doing this for a reason. It's a scary thing. Uh, what if they get arrested? What if they get caught? What if one of them, you know, get gets injured, uh, mortally even? Like, what what do they do? Like, what is the plan? I, at one point, one character points out, like, we can't even go to a hospital because we all have excuses for where we're at right now to make this possible. It's surprisingly well-planned, but also very clumsy. It's, like, kind of, like walking into a heist movie halfway through it almost like reservoir dogs although that's technically the end of the heist right like you miss the actual bit and i think how to blow up a pipeline like for its small beginnings and for its simple budget like really shoots the stars and and, and I'm, I'm surprised at how well it comes over i think for me any other thoughts andy for recommendations i love 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 the score uh, mm. It has this very like seventies eighties synth score that just keeps it going. The first act, I, I think, really moves. Like it, it's edited so tightly before it kind of gets too long in the second act. But the the score is moving. It, it's got this synth thing. It reminded me of like Blade Runner. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be adding it to the uh, my the, my very long Spotify playlist of film scores, which I haven't added to since uh, Across the Spider Verse. So I'm be anxious to add a new score to it. Love the score to this. Keep in mind, it's a very curated list. Oppenheimer may win best score this year, and Andy hasn't even bothered to get it on the score list. Like, it's a very. It's winning for like three good tracks. <laughs> They're amazing. They're the best tracks of the year. No, we'll see. We don't even know if it'll win yet. But uh, Sing the theme. Be... Sing the theme to Oppenheimer. It's, yeah, hum the Oppenheimer theme. Uh, <laughs> Andy, would you recommend How to Blow Up a Pipeline? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would. I would say. Uh... I would have loved to have ca caught this in the theater. We watched it on Hulu. Uh, but it's a very interesting film. Like I said, it, it's it's more like a thriller uh, with these people trying to do something very illegal, very dangerous, and uh, you're not real sure if they're going to get away with it. 
or not, there's uh, political elements, police el- elements. Gets a little bit bogged down in the second act with a big cast and a lot of backstories. But overall, really enjoyed it. Thrilling. It's on Hulu. Highly recommend. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's a Hulu watch, not very long. Like has has really good pacing. Uh, totally a good time. If you need to do laundry on Sunday or something, or just want something to throw on, or maybe you want to sit down and watch something like you know a little offbeat but pretty interesting. Like give How to Blow Up a Pipeline a shot and tell your friends because like it is it is not that bad of a feature. I think it's really interesting. I'm excited to see uh, what these kids come up with next. And that's uh, God. That's our show for a week, Andy. This is our fastest episode we've done in a minute. Oh my gosh. I don't know how this happened to me. What's the timestamp? I can't see it. Uh, we're at like 49 minutes. Yeah, we got another. We, normally oh, wow. we add another 10 on here, but I think that's going to be it. You know, I've been coming around on these ideas of like bonus reviews because I think, you know, every little bit helps. And uh, I, I had an idea for one this week. I was going to talk about the Coraline 4K, but uh, I don't have anything queued up for it. So I'll just say it's good. And uh, Coraline's a solid like a movie. Andy, do you watch anything this week? I started The Godfather yesterday because I realized it's on Paramount uh, Plus. Yes. Thank you for the login. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I haven't watched The Godfather in years, so uh, I was just kind of getting back to some cinema roots while I crush people in chess. Did I give you my Paramount login? You did because we watched something. Well, you came over we watched something. I no, forget. we watched that in my place. You gave it to me at some point. Huh. Otherwise, how do I have it? <laughs> I have no idea. I was gonna say, did you sign up for a free trial and didn't know it? Like, I don't, I don't know. So. I guess you probably logged in with my <laughs> credentials. All right, all right. Well, we'll get that password changed, folks. We no had worries. a deal. We did not have a deal. Anyway, uh, yes. Uh, anyway, that's uh, God. That's the show for the week. Andy, what are we doing next week? Uh, we are on break next week, uh, taking a couple of weeks off. Uh, some th- movies you might be interested. Next week, uh, the Threequalizer, Equalizer 3, uh, the Revenge film starring Denzel Washington comes out. We will not be watching that, but if you're interested, in, uh, that's going to be the big release next week, as well as what we will be checking out, Bottoms, which is the uh, queer fight club high school movie starring Ra- Rachel Sennett and Ao Itabiri from The Bear and from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Uh, we're going to be checking that out. And then something... New on, uh, we'll see what comes out on streaming in, in September, and we'll be back on September 12th. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, the first thing I'd say is thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And the second thing I'd say is go check us out, right? Go, go see where you can see the show. If you're watching on YouTube, go check out our other reviews. Lots of good things going on over here. So slide around. See how you feel. Maybe subscribe to the channel. If you see us on Facebook, you can follow us over there. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. All the usual social media stuff. And, of course, the audio version of the podcast is available on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and iHeart Media. You may have been listening to it there right now. And if you are, I'd say you should totally subscribe. Subscribe to get new episodes of Offscript delivered straight to your phone every single Tuesday except next week, which we are taking off. Uh, you know, rate and review if you can swing. Leave a comment for your boys. A little bit of uh, correspondence never hurts. We might even read it on the show. So uh, if you liked our reviews, if you like what we're doing here, please give us a follow. We really appreciate it. It helps us more than you know. And from all of us. Oh, wait. Hold on. I forgot where you can leave correspondence. If you want to leave us a direct note, you can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Come straight to Dr. Draper and myself. And of course, you can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com for interviews, reviews, media, other things we're doing. Lots of exciting things going on. Big things for Offscript. Big things coming. And uh, God, it's episode 225. Hard to believe we're already here. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.